Each generation through its trials and its triumphs, valleys and plateaus provides a trove of lessons for the generations that follow them. We advance by building on the work of those who have gone before us, and many of them are still among us to put us on game. Gen Activist is an intergenerational podcast presented by Rosa Rebellion, a platform for creative activism by and for women of color. Imagine it as a historical digital archive remastered for contemporary use and permanent preservation. These are our stories told for us by us. You're listening to Gen Activist. Gen Activist, yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Gen Activist. We, as always, are so excited to invite y'all into our virtual living room, and we are really excited about our guest today. Um, it is someone that has just brought so much beauty, joy, and light to not only my timeline on my Instagram feed, but in my life. And uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but she has also had the opportunity to work with now with G-Mom. And so we're just so excited to have Paula Mate with us um, to explore her work and talk about the ways in which she is truly uh, living out what we call creative activism. And so Paula, first of all, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, we'd love to just start off by learning a little bit about sort of um, Paula, as a young girl, what kind of brought you to this juncture now as a mother, a business owner, a creative director, a designer, mm -hmm. all of these things, but we know particularly as women of color and more specifically as black women, right? That we are inspired and we are set in tension by our histories, by our culture. Um, and so just walk us through what was Paula like as a young girl and maybe how has that set the intention for your brand? You know, thinking about younger me is something I think about. I think about her all the time. And because my life is so different right now, I always want to feel a connection to her. I always mm -hmm. want to make sure I don't let her down because... <laughs> I always like to say that I've lived so many lives and I know <laughs> I'm young, I'm 35, but I, the most vivid memories of my life are from when I was four to 12. It, it was such a different life. Um, I was in Haiti. I lived in this house that my family owned. I didn't have a present father figure, but um, I had a father working in the States and I lived with my mom and my little brother. And my father currently was, is not my biological father. So I was always this person who always thought about who I was and why I was so different, why I was so tall, why my feet were so big. So I spent a lot of time in my head trying to understand how life and why our circumstances were the way they were. And I think I was always very visual person and people said I was this daydreamer. I used to get in trouble because my head, my head was in the cloud. I would be there, but then not really. I was always thinking about all these different things. And thinking about her now makes me understand why I, I am the way I am because I always tell people I didn't know I was a creative person until I was about 25 and someone just asked me what I was doing and the basement of a hotel being a manager when I could be doing other things, right? And I was just like, well, it's not easy to just get up and leave. 
You know, I, I don't think people need to hear what I have to say. I don't think it's necessary. And I kept being reminded that in very subtle ways or just very strong, powerful ways where eventually I decided to give myself a chance to really fully understand who I was, all of who I was. And that's a scary place because growing up in Haiti, you don't know who you are. You're being told who you are through your school, through your parents. You can't question things. Um, you just have to accept, you know, and your place as a child is to just take all of that is thrown at you and just, that's my experience, right? And just accept it, right? So, and I think that's, that's why I spent so much time in my head because I was trying to understand without getting in trouble. You know, it was always this very strict Catholic school background. Um, and I all of a sudden thought that my place in the world was to just be as gentle and quiet as possible because otherwise I, I, did, I couldn't disrupt, I couldn't challenge, otherwise I'd get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I almost wanted to make myself feel invisible. Um, and so I think that in, in doing that and in in going into the shell, I was able to just sit still and just listen to what was happening around me and soaking it all up. And that really helped me with my creativity and, and the way I view things. And even when opportunities are thrown at me now, I understand what's for me and what's not for me, just based on my personal experiences and seeing the women around my lives, I like to say, because growing up in Haiti the first 12 years and then moving to Newark, New Jersey, you know, a mostly black city, but very different from how I grew up. Maybe the biggest culture shock of my life because here I was among other black people, but I had nothing in common with them and I had to learn um, their culture and I had to understand what it meant to be an American. And also understanding or similarities and differences and, and trying to adapt in that way. And I think the woman I am now has all of these little pieces of these different lives. And, and so I can show up and, you know, I can be romantic. I can show up. And I think um, I had an assistant who says she, she was always in my closet and helping me. I use a lot of my own pieces to style. She said, how could you still be romantic and street at the same time or something? Because she would just see a random thing. And I like how she phrased it because I was able to capture and, and keep with me all of these different women. And when I think about impact, I don't just think about impacting young Haitian women. I think about impacting the single mom taking three buses in Newark to go and, and, and to go to her maybe second or third job. Question I, first of all, reading about you was fascinating and just watching, seeing this woman evolve. Uh, and, and then there's this point in your life, your own childhood, and then you become a mother. Uh, that's such an important transition. So probably one of the most creative things we ever do is to have a child uh, and, have, and dream for that child and be able to turn those dreams over so that child can have. And I'm fascinated by two things. One, this how this nexus between this woman who's making her way in the world and creating for others and yet creating through your children 
And one of the things Black people have owned is their ability to name their children. And I'd like you to, if you can share with us a little bit about mothering and still being a woman who's in the world, shaping the world. Part of your world that you're shaping is for your children to have yes. a better world. So I, how do you blend all this, this woman you have become and are becoming through and your children and I just, if you want to talk a minute about what you were thinking when you named them, why their names are so important to you. Oh, man. It's funny because both of their names came at the very last minute. Ah. Um, I knew I knew that, so Zuli's first name, we everyone calls her Zuli, that's what she's known as. Her first name is Ada. And ah. Ada means first daughter. I was reading these books and... Um, I shared a bit of that of Zuli's birth story on my blog, where I've written a long article about it, and I've written a few short uh, parts of the story, and I've shared it because her birth, and I still say that, was one of the most terrifying and traumatic experiences of my life. She came three months early. Mm-hmm. I was on the hospital on bed rest for about six weeks before she came. And what I thought was a standard routine doctor appointment turned to the doctor telling me to pack my bags. And I thought I was going to just stay there over the weekend. And it turned out that I had to stay there until she was born. I was diagnosed with preeclampsia and other different health issues that I had never heard of or come across. And so when I was on the hospital bed, because, you know, I was so early, I didn't want to think about, um, their names. I when people asked me what I was thinking, I I just told them the names would come to me. Oh. You know, I wasn't going to stress about them. <laughs> and so while I was there, I had such such a strong support system, and people were visiting me all the time. I had all these flowers. People were bringing me books, and one of the books was about Ada Lovelace, the scientist. Um, and then there is another book that I had that I read by this young Nigerian woman. And Ada kept popping up in the book. And when I looked it up, it meant first daughter. And knowing the situation that I am, and I just like like to laugh at myself. And I was like, well, it means first daughter. Maybe I'll have another child, but it seems like this pregnancy might take me out. Honestly, I don't know, but I like the name. I like what it signifies. And I love that I kept coming around that ADA. And I was like, but that's not, that can't be all of it. And then I was reading more about, um, I have this really great friend who's a singer and artist and just all around, I call her a fairy because she's so good at everything, right? And um, she has this tattoo of Elzuli on her chest and she talks about all these different goddesses and, and spirits. And I always was fascinated by her, um, I think determination and always talking about these Spirits, because in Haiti, if growing up in a Catholic school, you don't talk about these things, right? And so it was very strong. And I just remembered Googling while I was on the hospital bed, Googling El Zuli. And El Zuli, there are two sisters named El Zuli. So there's the dark one with a scar on her face, and she represents strength and motherhood. And there's a more, there's a fairer one that represents softness and luxury. And I was like, this is interesting because in my mind, I was thinking we could be all of those things. Like, why do we have to choose? So I love the name because I said, well, if we survive this, 
Zuli and I. She could choose which she wants to be at any time. And so I decided to call her that. That's her middle name. And then it turned out that we just call her that all the time. And, oh. and um, at first I was, I was telling my husband, maybe I'll just change the name entirely. Maybe I'll get rid of Ada, but we love it too, you know? And, and so those who know will know, or those who listen to this podcast and other people will know that that's not her full name because I oh. think her full name coming together is so powerful, you know, yes. merging these yes. African um, cultures with, um, with Haitian, I mean, Haitian is African too, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then with Shaka, I, I wanted an African name. I was writing down all these different names. <laughs> one of them, um, Renee, who works with me, who also attended the brunch, one of them, when you translate it, meant born and a time of misery or uncertain time. And she was like, no, that can't be the name of your son. That's a little much. <laughs> like, so I remembered um, just settling and I was like, it, it is Shaka, you know, it, it just felt right. Yes. And it was not planned yes. that, you know, I would have a, a kid named Zuli and one named Shaka, but it, it just turned out to be that way. Um, and his middle name is um, Cax and um, it's, to celebrate the life of my late friend, Caxme, who was a power force um, and who um, unfortunately lost her life. She was a cancer survivor and amputee and a true inspiration to so many people. And it's funny because Cax continues to also, I, I go back to her as well because she, um, she hated being referred to as an inspiration because she has endured so much, but she didn't think that her struggles defined her. Like she thought that she had a lot more to offer to the world than just her struggles. And I slowly started to adapt that mindset. I think I love talking about all of the things I've survived and how I've had to crawl myself out of different situations, but only when I feel like it, not because I have to, because I feel like Black women always have to validate why, why they're in a room and they always have to talk about all the things they have to survive. And, and sometimes I just want to be there. I just want to exist and I just want to be. And I think that is enough, you know? Um, and I, I want to push and celebrate softness and, and romance and yes. all of the things that yes. we also sometimes do without having to say, do you know what I had to go through? Mm-hmm. Yes, that also is important, but why can't we just sometimes th- just be soft? And that's part of our resistance that we still cling to the softness and the love and the, mm-hmm. the sweet joys that we have, despite what we've experienced in a tough world that's tough on us. I think that's our that's our revenge. <laughs> I remember love. when um, like blogging was like becoming big and all these people were like blogging and a lot of the like black blogs by black women were very heavy. You know, it was really like, you know, all the ways that we have to fight all these things and how to overcome and what, you know, and that certainly has its place. But I remember being like, we frolic, like, cause I would look at white blogs mm-hmm. by white women and they were like, yeah, frolicking and just like yeah. sitting by the water yeah. or yeah. whatever, yeah. right? And I was like, mm-hmm. we do that too. Like, I want it. I was like, how do we create a space for Black women that that has some levity? You know, yes. this right. light. Yes, because yes. A lot of times, like even in the midst of like everything is going on, Black people always have joy. We all we will joke always. anywhere. We will joke always. in the most inappropriate places because <laughs> we have learned how to traverse 
all of this stuff with joy and with levity. And so yeah. I feel you on that. Like sometimes yeah. you just, you know. And yeah. we laugh from the gut with oh, all yes. of our body. <laughs> oh, yes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so. I think that's a good book title, Laughing Out Loud. <laughs> right. Oh, well, absolutely. Fanjang means strong woman in Haitian Creole. And as we navigate all the world throws at us as women and particularly as women of color, this brand motto is affirming, anchoring, and aspirational. At Rosa Rebellion, we believe in the power of women to change the world and build a more just and equitable future. Our innovation, our resilience, our resistance in the face of injustice is our strength. The story of Funjum and its founder, Palamate, is a reminder to celebrate our brilliance, our beauty, and our boldness, even when the world says differently. So whether it's a beautiful head wrap, a bold printed headband, or a brilliantly designed caftan, step into your power and strength this summer, daily, in pursuit of a more beautiful world. Enjoy 20% off all items as a part of Funjum's summer sale. Shop online at funjum.com and get inspired by following along the brand story on Instagram at funjum. You know, G-Mom asked you this question about how um, you named your children, which in naming your children, you were building a story, right? A story that's connected to your history, to your yes. culture, to your yes. own identity. And you talked about, you know, Haitian culture, a Black American culture, it's still connected to Africa, right? Mm -hmm. um, through the language that you chose in naming your children. And so I, I love also that part of, you know, what Megan was talking about, which is, I feel like literally when I, when I, scroll down my Instagram timeline and I find Finding Paula or I find Bunjum, right? It is literally a burst of color into my day. It's a burst of vibrancy. And because you've been so intentional about spotlighting the diversity of Blackness, the diversity of Black women, it allows us to find ourselves in the stories you're telling. And so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about you say you think about young Paula all the time, right? And so in some ways you are healing those parts of yourself yes. as a child, but you're also creating space for other black women to heal themselves, to, to not feel like the only way to see beauty in themselves is a certain hair texture or a certain skin tone. And so we, you know, at Rose Rebellion are constantly talking about this idea of the power of storytelling, the power of images to be disruptive to what you called the world thr thrusting a certain image on us, telling us who we can be. And you are a disruptor. The work of Funjum is creative activism. So I wonder, tell us a little bit about the origin story, you know, knowing all of your skills as a photographer, creative director, you were managing a hotel how you landed on head wraps as being the symbol of empowerment and being the symbol of creative activism that again has brought so much joy and, and color and brightness to the way in which black women see themselves. Mm -hmm. So I remember, and there are a lot of little stories that come together, but one that stands out was, um, I think I was about 18 or 19 and people used to tell me that I should consider modeling, right? It was this thing. Mm -hmm. And I remembered one time from campus, I took a train from Madison, New Jersey to New York City, and there was this casting. 
And it was a casting. And I don't even remember the designer, but I had to go to Midtown. And there were two Black men there. And when I walked in and I said, is this where the casting is? And at that time, I was a size four. And they kind of looked at me up and down. And they said, yes, it is. But we're looking for more editorial models. You're size four. We're looking for a size zero. <laughs> and one of the gentlemen, um, or one of the men came over and he pinched my cheeks like this. And he said, if you look like this in two weeks, you can walk in our show. And I remember thinking, first of all, he put his hands on you. That's yes, he was <laughs> like <this>. number one. <laughs> he, he pinched my cheeks to make my face more angular. And he said, and just to give you reference, I'm a size a true size six, eight now, and I was a size four. So I was smaller than what I am now, right? <laughs> and so he says, so if you could look like this naturally without me having to pinch your cheeks, then you could walk in the show. And I remember saying, well, thank you for your time. And I left. And then I said, Paolo, you have two choices. You can either starve yourself so you can walk in the show, or you could just not walk in the show and live your life. So I decided to live my life and not walk in the show because maybe modeling wasn't for me. Like I didn't need to be treated like this. I've been treated like that my whole life. I've been told my whole life that I was not good enough, right? Like growing up, stay out of the sun, pinch your nose. Why is your nose this way? Why is your hair this way? Why can't this relaxer take? Why is your hair so stubborn? And I, I had enough, you know? And I remembered... Um, I decided to go on this trip, the spring, what, what do you call that? Those spring trips, those spring, spring break, break, spring break <laughs> trips with a group of friends to Puerto Rico that changed my life. And I, I covered that part of that. And I remembered living maybe the greatest day at that time in my life on that beach. And I just, it, I go back to her too. And I was, again, just sitting there, just taking in, all of the world's simple beauty and feeling at peace. And I just remember starting crying. It just came out of nowhere. And then I, I decided that I just couldn't let people tell me what, who I was anymore and, and why I should be validated. And I think about that all the time as someone who, even if the world doesn't actively tell you, based on how they treat you, you start to feel a certain way, right? So I went back and I shaved my hair Again, it was just like, again, I'm a junior and I've done it before, but that time it was really transformative for me. And I just remember thinking, I'll be okay, no matter, I didn't care for these guys. Like I didn't, like they couldn't tell me who I should be. And it's funny now because I'm not a model, right? And, but I've been offered some really huge campaigns just for being myself. Mm -hmm. I've been blown across the world. I've been I've been, and I've had demands. So I wasn't just showing up and just being grateful to be there. I've had to ask questions and have my own demands. And there's so much power into that when you don't just let the world or people dictate who you are um, and you should be. And I think when I create and when I do anything, honestly, I always think about, okay, even if this is not a popular thing right now, even if this, you know, people will question it right now. Does it feel right to you? You know, does it, would you want to see that when you were 11 or when you get older, would you're looking back, would you be proud of that? So I think about all of these, um, all of these different things 
when creating. So that goes back. So that's shaving my head, started wearing head wraps and thinking about um, people when I was younger telling me to not laugh too loud and to not do all these things. So the head wrap made me stand taller. I'm five ten. So I wear, you know, three, four inch heels. I stand really tall. And then you add another three to four inches. I'm tall. You know, I show up. I am no yeah. longer invisible. I am very <laughs> visible, right? And so the head wrap became this extension of me where I started wearing it all the time. Mm-hmm. So while managing these restaurants in Harlem, way before I started from drum and just living my life, people came up to me. So it was this thing that even when I was fighting it, people were still coming up to me and were saying, where'd you get your head wraps from? It just became part of my personal style. And so I decided one day after this lady, after my answer wasn't enough, I just went to Google and I was like, head wrap shops. And then I couldn't say anything. I was just like, why are there any head wrap shops? Why can't I just like, like look for head wraps? Because women, again, black women, especially we are so creative and innovative and, and we've been wrapping our heads it's part of different culture. I'm not talking about the cultural or the historical, yeah. um, I guess, ideas behind it. I'm just talking about in general, what we do with our hair and how we've constantly had to express ourselves and our beauties. Um, and I was thinking, man, I have all these scraps of fabrics, but I mean, how do I even start something? You can't just sell start scraps <laughs> of fabrics to people. How do I, um, talk to people who have wrapped before because they'll just look at me. They already have head wraps or how do I get people who have never wrapped before to wrap? So I asked myself all these questions. And once I started figure them out, figuring them out, then I was laying down all of my different scraps of fabrics on the floor and they all had different shapes. And I was thinking, this is too hard because we can't have all of these different shapes. How do I help people? Because I had to have some kind of standard size in order to show people, I mean, when you're looking at us right now, I have this style. We essentially, Virginia and I are wearing the same head wrap, but we have styled it differently. So mm-hmm. how do we get people or how, in my mind, I was saying, we all have our own styles. How do I get someone who wants something more subtle or something that stands out more? And that's how I really came about it. It was just, people. it, it slowly became an extension of my personal style because I was trying to fight what people were trying to tell me all the time, this isn't professional enough, this isn't good enough. And then when I showed up and the more confident I was showing up in the spaces with these head wraps on, because eight, 10 years ago, you showed up, people were asking me, is this a political statement? Like people were asking me all of these questions, but now women walk in any room and I'm not saying it's because of me, but I'm saying we have gained so much of our power back collectively over the past 10 years when mm-hmm. when I see all of these different new initiatives or women talking about just hair in general we have mm-hmm. walked into rooms and we have con- we've constantly been able to fight what the world is telling us mm-hmm. not to be proud of you know yeah. Yeah. I've been politicized over the years you know and so I think in some ways it's a response to that mm-hmm. yeah I think about like when I'm listening to your story, right, you said there's not this one thing that led me here. There's all these little stories along the way, right? And when you talk about your childhood and, um, you know, the way that you were internalizing everything around you, not just the words that were spoken, but the way that you were treated, which I think, you know, we all do that, right? So when I look at your Instagram and your Instagram is finding Paola, I think that that's what you've done, right? Like all of your stories, you're constantly like searching and finding you know, yourself in this, you know, story of life. And so 
this this might be a question that takes a little bit of thought or might be a little bit hard, but like, what do you feel like you found? So I don't think it's hard at all because I ask myself that all the time. Yeah. It's an ongoing process. I found yes. a lot of myself, but I keep, I continue to find new things about myself. <laughs> Motherhood has changed me so much. And I think when I first had Shaka, people were, a weekend, people were asking me, how does it feel like to be a mother of two? I'm just starting it. I don't know what it feels like. I can't tell you. But yeah. now I can. You know? Megan knows. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Right. Brand new. Because I'm figuring it out. Right. I think the thing is, looking back at me being a mother of two when Shaka was one week old or a few months old versus now are two different things. And it's hard as a mother. I feel like growing up right now too and trying to find pieces of my story as a right. child, the woman I am. It was just like, okay, so I need to yeah. understand how that made me feel. And 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 when Zuli is saying, and she's very vocal about her her feelings. <laughs> did I did I tell she she walked down the other day and she said, Mom, Daddy spoke to me in a tone that wasn't very nice and that made me feel very sad. And I said, she, she just turned four. And I was like, she is already better at, at expressing herself than I was when I was 16 years old, you know? Um, so I think yes. it's just being a mother um, and being who I am and going back and, and, and finding all those things that shaped me. I'm also always facing or going back to all the traumas I've lived and trying to be better and not... Yeah. And I'm not going to be perfect, no. you know, but, but I'm, I'm willing to be open and I'm willing to, to hear. And I, I love that because I'm 83 years old and I'm still becoming. Uh, and and that's, that's part of what gives me life now. I'm still becoming. When I meet young women like you, I'm still becoming. I'm, when I have grandchildren, I'm still becoming. My faith in God is still becoming. So it's just such a. I think that's what life is, becoming. Uh, but I wanted to go back to something you said the other day, and it gave me a lot of thought, and I want to put it forward because I was making meaning of it for all of us. Uh, when you were standing there with my daughter and you said, I've embraced everything that maybe I thought the world didn't think. And it started, and you said earlier about spirit. And I think I've, uh, you can engage me on this, but I think it has helped me to say, first of all, the world needs beauty. It needs beauty. And black women offer so much of that. But beauty comes from whatever your physical may be. If you infuse it with this spirit, it is the beauty the world needs. So when you walk in a room as you are, you, I don't know. I don't know if people want to dissect this or that. They see this essence of beauty from the spirit that lights up everything we are physically. Uh, and so you led me into a lot of thought just by that. So I think it's a little pearl I discovered, but respond to it. <laughs> I mean, I think what you just said is literally why the poem by the late Maya Angelou, Phenomenal Woman, is so powerful, right? It's just understanding that essence. It's just understanding saying, 
I will define who I am and, and all of these different things that you thought were your flaws are your powers essentially mm-hmm. because you've embraced them and, right. and and once you've accepted and embraced them no one can say anything and no one can truly affect you in the ways that you and the thing is I think sometimes people say things or do things they don't they don't even mean it they don't even understand that you know the the power behind their actions or their words it's just all about how we internalize things based on Yes, Everything. but you know, when you walk in a room, my daughter said, when you walk the room, mm-hmm. you say, oh my God, she's beautiful. There's something undefined, undefinable mm-hmm. about the essence you project that mm-hmm. projects beauty. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what I want our young women to know. Our podcast the other night was about an artist invested in mm-hmm. our finding ourselves and there are two things, I, you know, I'm a literature major, so I always go back to literature, but there are two things. So when you talk about being a young girl and dreaming and head in the cloud and maybe not so vocal, I think of Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. He was in search of self and he just felt, you know, he lived in the basement and nobody noticed him and he wasn't there. And then he just went through this revolution and he was in Harlem. And they had the yam carts, you know, where they sold them. And he coined this phrase. He says, I am what I am. And I think that's the declaration. I, it's not I am, but he put that yam in there to say, I'm claiming all I am, this blackness. I am what I am. And mm-hmm. I think that's what I hear from you. Um, and, and when you wow. smile and you walk in, I, that's what I see. So we need Thank to you. We create beauty that the world needs to see. Yeah. And when I think about your story, I'm thinking like, gosh, like, how can I help my daughter, Justice, who's right here cooing next to me? Mm -hmm. um, How can I help her arrive at that level of self-actualization to reject, right, what the world has said is a standard of beauty, um, to reject, you know, whatever box the world tries to put her in earlier, Right. Because I feel like now at 36, I'm a lot more comfortable in my skin. I'm a lot more comfortable with my version of woman, my version of black Mm -hmm. woman. Um, But it took a long time to get here. I would say I was probably about 32 before I started to really kind of feel okay in my body. Right. And so I'm thinking, like, how can we help, you know, young women of color in particular, because we know the world is going to project certain things about them and not just, you know, black girls, but, you know, all, all uh, people of color, how can we help them, right, to get to that level of freedom sooner so that they don't carry what we carried for as long as we did. You hope that the next generation, right, is able to do that. And I think, like, your work is part of that the images that we see, what we have redefining beauty, disrupting, you know, this beauty industry, which um, I don't even know that you set out to do that, right? But um, in a lot of ways, that's what you have done. I think that that's part of that work. Um, But yeah, I grapple with it all the time because now as a mother, you know, which I'm learning too, and I'm always evolving, like who I am now as a mother of two with a three-month-old and a two-year-old is different than, you know, 
November when she was born and I was absolutely delirious and outside of my mind. So, you know, it's just completely different. I can tell it's always going to be evolving, but I am intentional about how do I help her to, to not carry what I carried for so long. And I would love for her not to have to carry it at all. And I think I, when you talk about, you know, what we carry, but we also carry the generations before us, right? Like mm-hmm. I hold on to the conversations and the images consciously and unconsciously that projected by my mother and my grandmothers, right? Mm-hmm. Things that my mom has shared with me around, um, you know, my mother, my grandmother, they're fairer skin than I am. My mother grew up with red hair, but it wasn't the texture of her younger sister's hair. And so she's felt texturism, you know, and all throughout her life. And I had to adjust as a young girl who's a brown skinned woman, but my mother being very fair skinned and people affirming her beauty all of the time and me unconsciously having this understanding was beauty um, aligned, right, with a uh, skin tone and skin color. And all of these things that you talked about that again are sometimes unconsciously, right? And biologically being absorbed by us, right? And I think what's so powerful about your work is that you have truly been able to use beauty as a catalyst of disruption, redefining what beauty is. And I think what's so poetic is that you named your website, you named your your, um, your uh, platform Finding Pala, but by doing so, you've given us permission to find ourselves in oh, this yeah. landscape, to find wow. ourselves through adorning ourselves with these head wraps and seeing you live so freely of, of who you are. And I think about, you know, my own story around generational identities and traumas, but also someone who loves clothes and fashion and color and photography and images and seeing that it coexists in this conversation and work of policy and this conversation and work of shifting the story. Um, and so I, I would love to kind of just expand that as Megan just said, as women of color and as black women, how do we continue to create space where we give ourselves permission to define ourselves and that our beauty is a tool of disruption. Our cultural aesthetic is a tool of disruption. Our hair is a tool of disruption. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like you have given so many of us permission to do that um, because you've given yourself permission to do that. Um, and so I just, I reflect so profoundly on Funjum being this tool of creative activism. And again, as Megan said, it may not be what you set out to do, right? But you've done it. And there's such power in you doing that um, through your own story. Okay, so I'm going to be very transparent here with you. I think that over the years, I've had more eyes on me than I ever imagined, right? And I've always asked myself, um, what would what was I doing when no one cared about finding Paola or the blog when I had this 13 views on it? What was I writing about? Um, why were those things important? And the other day, and you know that saying, dancing like nobody's watching? <laughs> I tried to adapt that philosophy with the person I am right now. The more eyes that are, I, I was in this room yesterday, I was telling Tyler, my, my husband, 
I was saying, okay, I was at this female founders event and all these women were talking about how they've raised seven figures and multi-million dollar companies or how they're running these VCs. And, and I had nothing in common with any of those stories, but I was in the room. And an older version of me would have said, I am a fraud. What am I doing here? Like my accomplishments are nothing close to these women. Honestly, Virginia, even when I met you, you know, and I was thinking about just your diction and the way you speak. And, and, and I was thinking, man, this woman is so smart. Can we even engage? Because I'm just all over the place, you know, and, and at some point I have to, and sometimes I ask myself, or I used to tell myself at least, I wish I had talents that were more helpful to the world or like more skills, you know? And it's kind of like, you tell yourself these because you see people who say, I am a singer and they could go on stage and sing and then they, they can prove what they are, or what they do. Or you have someone who is a scientist and discovers a thing or someone who's a writer and has written multiple, you know, best-selling books and and I feel like I'm constantly finding my creative voice. And the more I do it, the more I think, okay, this made me feel good at some point, or it's making me feel good, but is it useful? You know, or is it something, because at the end of the day, it is good to feel good, right? Um, and sometimes I like to find the balance between something being useful and meaningful versus just feeling good, right? And so... I think I try to say, I'm saying all of this to say right now that I have somehow, I don't know how it happened, over 200,000 followers, right? And I have to think, okay, you still have to stay true to yourself. Yes, you have to adapt with the time that is changing, but what does this all mean? Yes. Because one thing is to start something and then, to, and then another thing is to maintain it and sustain it, right? And and you can't, and at the end of the day, I don't want to lose myself and just trying to keep up with what's happening. Oh, so I try to embrace all of that I am. And when I have the mental capacity, I try to share all of, or different parts of myself, because I think sometimes also the world tells us, maybe people won't take you seriously as a business owner or a writer, if you're into fashion or if you're into beauty and why can't we and do all of these different things at different times. I mean, there's a time and place for everything, but why can't we share those different things? Because I think the world is constantly trying to push us to be brands, mm -hmm. to be a brand instead of a person and trying mm -hmm. to find a niche where we have, we are multi-dimensional beings. We have different interests. We grow and we evolve. And what things I used to write about when I was 25 or 23 are not things I write about now, but sometimes it's good to go back and to look at the things. And, and honestly, um, generally, I hate listening to my voice and what I had to say, and I'm trying to be better at, at those things. And um, sometimes I go back and I tear up because there are truths to what I say that I truly believe. And then there are things that sometimes I think, man, I have grown from that or, or I've learned enough to know that it's more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So right now what I'm trying to do is truly embrace all of, of who I am truly and, and trying to understand how to express that in different ways because not everything needs to be shared or expressed. or um, And I think sometimes we need time too to really fully understand what it is we're trying to share or express. But 
Um, I think for me, I, it's really important to me to not just be um, boxed in into one thing, you know? Yeah. I think like the whole Instagram culture, the whole like people are brands, not people. It's like, oh, you can't even post your mama because your mama don't fit, you know, your aesthetic, you know, and all that stuff. It's like, it's so much pressure. And we were just not wired for that, right? Like we are all traversing this human experience and we're changing and we have to give ourselves permission to learn and to grow and to change and, and sometimes like the pressure of like living up to a brand or what people have boxed you into, like strips you of that ability, right? Like, like me as someone who has been very vocal about my thoughts about a criminal legal system and as a civil rights attorney, like that part of me, right? So this part of me is, is the very creative side, which is actually my innate side. Um, and the civil rights attorney side Sometimes I feel like, oh, well, now I've changed my mind about this. But publicly, I said this before. So do I, can I say this now? And I have to consciously reject the like angst that I feel and say, no, I reserve the right to change my mind. And I, and I should be learning and I should be growing. Um, but it's such a struggle, right? It's such a, and you have yes. to be so intentional. Justice has a lot to say. Um, okay, Justice, it's your turn. <laughs> I, 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 what you bring up here, um, I hope I'm not going too far afield. I think we have to think of beauty as so much more. So when I said it may manifest itself in a physical presence, but it's all that stuff that is in you that you're bringing to the world your thoughts, the meaning making, all of that registers. So I think we need to help the world redefine this beauty. Yes, it manifests in my prep, but presence is so much more than just what they see. It's this essence coming through you. And and I, so it kind of links to your comment earlier, Megan, about our children. That's what we cultivate in them. They'll be okay. If we cultivate that you are beautiful in so many dimensions that may manifest itself physically, but that those dimensions come out in your the way you stand, the way you look into a room, the way you hold your head. You know, you were so conscious about how I was holding my head in the, it just shines. It, who I think I am, you know, is in all of that. And when your presence is there, the world feels it. So I don't want to minimize this thing of beauty, poetry. It's just beauty is so much more. And, but Megan, you were asking that question. So I think that's what we put in our young girls who you are, who you you are. But there's one more point I wanted to make and I got to remember it before. Oh, and I want us and our young children and what you were saying, uh, Paola and um, Megan and and Virginia, we want to teach them not to feel like imposters. I don't belong here, Uh, intruders into spaces. We want them to know, I 
am God's child. I bring so much in me uh, that they walk into a room, they go into a classroom. That's what I do as an educator. I'm saying to people, don't strip our children of their culture and their history and their language and all that. I want you to impress them is that they bring a dimension to this classroom nobody else can bring. And I want these children to walk into a classroom to any place and say, I bring something. So, yes. Amazing. I mean, the words. Always you're amazing. I wanted to add something to what you said about um, beauty and that it was not this only in this physical sense and that there are different dimensions to it. Mm -hmm. I remember growing up when I decided that I was ugly because that's what, from the actions of people, right? Mm -hmm. I was just like, I'm ugly. I'm mm -hmm. going to deal with that, right? And I'm saying that because I truly grew up where we had older family friends show up, try to pinch my nose saying, the no this nose doesn't work, you know? Why is her hair like this? And and those are all things I truly, I just remembered being silent because that was my job just to not speak and to just take it all in. And I decided one day that I was ugly. And then I said, and these are all, this is all happening in my mind. And I said, okay, if I am ugly, what else do I bring to the world? And that's, the, I was having these conversations with myself when I was nine or 10, when I went into high school. What else do I bring to the world now that I, we've established that, right? And again, being in my shell, observing the world around me, and I used to be in awe with the pretty girls in school, like the way they were treated and, and, and the way they, their hair was or their bodies. And, and I was this invisible. I'm truly saying that because looking back now, when I tell people I was shy, I couldn't make eye contact with people. There was a time where I remember this older woman came to me and just stood me upright because I was tall. So it was always like, <laughs> you know, um, and I, these are all the different things that I just remember happening when that lady could have been five, two, you know, this older woman and I was bending down and she just came and just uh, stood me right up. And I've never bent after that. I didn't even know her, you know, <laughs> I never did that slouch my shoulders again. And I think that's when people see me and they say, oh, you are graceful. I, I don't see it because in my mind, I'm still all of these, you know, that little girl. Um, but I just know that when people talk about the way I walk in general, it's that woman standing me upright. And I'm just always walking from that very beginning, you know, from, from that time it happened. And so going back to when I established that I was ugly and I wanted to find the different ways I would bring myself to the world and be accepted because to me, that physical appearance no longer mattered. You know, it was just like, okay, what else do you got going for you? And I think at that stage in my life, I was just reading a lot and maybe living vicariously through characters and personalities and things. And, um, and when I finally started realizing some of my strengths and maybe even the way I was able to observe or even admire the pretty girls in my mm -hmm. class, I, was, I started to slowly feel okay you know, and right now I don't believe I'm ugly, you know, I don't, but it's not my beauty or the physical in the physical mm -hmm. sense is not something I put first ever. It's always how I feel. It's always how I make people feel. And I think truly that is more important than all of the things. Do I believe in applying serums at night? Absolutely. I love my nighttime <laughs> routines. Do I believe in a good lipstick? 
all the way, right? But at the same time, those things don't come close to what is what are most important to me. We usually ask this question, you know, what's giving you joy in this moment? But I love that the translation, translation, the literal translation of funjum is strong woman. And so I wonder if you could end us by just sharing with those listening, what do you wish for, for women to feel? How do you wish them to feel strong in this moment, in this year that we're coming off of such a error of having to be resilient, having to do all of the things, you know, we think about the great resignation and how that's impacted women, but we also think about the burdens that black women specifically have carried in this moment. Um, what strength do you wish that we all carry with us moving into this year? Peace all the way. Uh, I wish for peace because I think in this life right now, um, black women are redefining everything that they've been um, taught, relearning, unlearning. And, and one commonality I've seen, at least in the past year, I've noticed that a lot of black women have been talking about luxury. I want to see black women in luxury. I've been seeing that theme everywhere. And I've thought about what luxury meant to me. And it is nothing like all the shiny things that you see truly, right? And to me, peace is the truth. It's the real luxury of all, no matter where you are. And I remembered when I first moved to New York, um, I shared the story so many times. I had a few hundred dollars in my name. I didn't know anyone. I worked three jobs and even when I got my little wine from Trader Joe's and my $3 bouquets, that was luxury to me because I earned it. And mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, coming out of a nice warm shower and, and I was okay with that. I was like, this is living the dream. <laughs> and that really, and I think about her all the time because I'm in a bigger space. I have these memberships, I'm being offered this and that. And sometimes I'm in those places that are luxurious and I don't feel the luxury, you know? So my goal is to always make sure that women know, especially young black women, that luxury is not what you see, it's what you feel. And peace is the true and real luxury. And it's just hard to come. And even as I say that, I still have to check myself sometimes, you know? Um, and that's just really important. It's just, making the most of what you have right now and finding peace and finding the luxuries that make you truly happy versus what you see. There's just so much being created and produced right now. And I think that sometimes that can get us off gear and, and you have to think what about what's truly important. 